what if I did take my favorite t-shirt that I, you know, wear with my prosthetic and cut the sleeve off? What would that mean? What would that look like? Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Hello, Maya. Welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I am doing great. I dropped off my ballot this morning, so I am feeling good and hoping for the best. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I am just moving house, so I've spent the entire day packing and also throwing out loads of stuff, which has been super cathartic. Like, it felt so good. Oh, that's one of the best parts of moving, just doing an inventory and then figuring out what you're going to keep and get rid of and then just like having everything clean and set. Oh my God. It was, it felt amazing. I've literally thrown out like eight bags of rubbish and I was like, oh my God, maybe I'm a hoarder. (laughs) I should speak to someone about this. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here today on the podcast. I'm um, so glad to be here. Oh, brilliant. Well, I thought I'll dive in with the first question and it's the same question that I ask every single guest. And that is, how do you refer to your own disability? Oh, good question. So the funny thing is, is I think for the first time since becoming disabled, um, so I've been disabled um, pretty much since 14. Um, and I feel like that definition has expanded as I've stressed, or excuse me, <laughs> struggled and wrestled with my own definition of it. But yeah. um, essentially, I was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer at 14 Mm-hmm. Um, and had my amputation at um, 17. So I moved throughout multiple stages um, or types um, or forms of disability. Yeah. Um, but primarily, um, I've dealt with chronic illness, um, a large part of my teens, and then I am an amputee. Uh-huh. And what was that experience for you like, obviously going from being like, quote unquote, non-disabled and then as you say, like moving almost through like different stages of disability, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was, it was rough. I think just because it came around the same time that I was going through being a teenager, like, so that's always (laughs) a tumultuous time, at least for most people. Um, You couldn't pay me enough money to be a teenager again. Like you genuinely couldn't. Absolutely not. Or to be in high school again. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, it was it was rough to say the least. I think that I honestly did not start to embrace the definition and align my own identity with being disabled or being a part of the disabled community until I was in my late twenties, um, which I am now. So I um, I ran from it, for lack of a better word, in every definition of of run. Like I literally ran away from home when I found out I had to have my arm amputated, and I. Just, refuse to identify as somebody as disabled because it had such negative stigma and um just I had a lot of like body and self image issues that came along with being a teenager and that like intersected with um all the hard parts of disability in a really like chaotic way yeah and especially like as we just said like being a teenager for anyone or like for the vast majority of people is not like the easiest of times and like you genuinely could not pay me enough money to be a teenager again like you couldn't and if like a teenager's listening to this like I promise you like it gets so much better like just just oh. ride them out like it just it does get better but like those years suck 
<laughs> yeah, it's like the self-discovery is is rough. And like you said, can promise it gets better on the other side, but going through it, it's like oh, everything just feels so heavy and like so serious and like it's the end of the world. And yeah. And yeah. And then if you're wrestling with big topics like disability and body image and, you know, all the other stuff that comes along with sort of being an inter- intersectional human, it just can sometimes be a lot. And I don't think I had the language at the time to deal with it. Yeah. And that's what I was literally about to like go on to talk about is that especially during those like years where it's so formative and considering that, you know, disability doesn't always have the best stigma attached to it. It must have been quite a difficult time to try and navigate through that and come to terms with the fact that actually this is going to be the rest of your life now. Now you have become a disabled person and I can only sympathize with that because I don't know what it's like to be non-disabled like I've been disabled my whole entire life I can't imagine what it would be like to suddenly be like quote unquote normal but what is normal anyway and then like become a disabled person I I can't imagine what that transition is like and that's why I always find it so interesting talking to people who have gone through that transition because I think it almost shines a light like on all of the aspects of your life where you're like oh okay these these are mildly uncomfortable but let's like figure out as to why it's uncomfortable and like why do I not love this particular part and how do I make myself love this particular part of myself because at this point in time it's either sink or swim and I quite like swimming (laughs) yeah Yeah, 100% I, I definitely agree and it's been interesting to talk to people who, um, for example, who are congenital amputees and just talk about how our experiences are so different, but then also have these same sort of, just they happen at different times, that same sort of period of like coming to to terms with how the world sees you, because it's like you obviously are dealing with all the internal stuff that comes with, um, at least in my case, with just like having chronic illness or feeling like my body failed me and like yeah. mourning what, you know, I thought my life would look like. Um, And then seeing that people who have dealt with disability or um, stages of disability a lot earlier in life, they're having those stages or um, confrontations with those topics a lot earlier. And then it's, it always comes back. It always is something you have to do multiple times in your life, I think. And for you, what, what was the like transition point where you kind of started to almost like accept disability for yourself? Yeah, I was profoundly unhappy in my own body. And um, it honestly got to a dark place where I just didn't feel like being here anymore. I really could not imagine a good life for myself in this body. I was so wrapped up in grief and sadness and just devastated about what I thought I lost. And I thought that all the hopes of me having a good life or a quote unquote normal, which what even what is normal life? were gone the moment I had that surgery. So I literally like drug my feet, like ran, did anything I could to not accept that. And I was in terrible denial before my surgery to the point where if my, I hadn't been a minor at the time, I think I would have just continued to run from it. Cause my parents were like, no, we have to, we have to do this is the only way to save your life. Um, so I would say 2020, um, I really had to sit with a lot of those feelings. Like there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to run. Like what a great time. (laughs) Yeah. What a great time to be alive. Um, So I had to sit and confront a lot of those things that I had continued to try to run from. And it got, you know, to a dark place. I'm like, okay, what do, do I want to, you know, at least give myself 
a shot or a chance? Like, what if I just, you know, fake it till I'm, till I make it type of thing? What if I pretend that I can have a good life in this body? And I think over time, like I started to see just how I started to adapt physically. And I think mentally to that, to that question or that notion, like, okay, like all of these things that I thought were terrible are ableism. They're not actual real things. Like, that in my life. Like I was like, I still have friends. I still have family. I still like have found new ways to enjoy the things that I like doing even without an arm. So I was like, okay, let me just continue to fake it until I make it. And I started to realize, okay, like different does not inherently mean bad. And I think for a long time, I thought that, okay, different is bad. Nobody wants to be different. Everybody wants to be, you know, be this one cookie cutter idea of perfect. And I was like, if I start to challenge that and chip away at it, like bit by bit, like the smallest pieces, like maybe it's something that I can eventually digest. I love the fact that actually for you coming to terms with disability meant that you realized ableism was so embedded in society. Cause I think a lot of people don't seem to realize that the vast majority of our views or our notions surrounding disability all actually boil down to ableism. Yeah. And like that's it can be such a difficult one to confront when you're like, oh, like actually, I don't really feel this way. This is society. And that is like a crazy, it's like a little melting pot, isn't it? Where you're like, oh my goodness, like my world is blown apart and I can see where all the flaws in society are. <laughs> like, yes, give yes. me the key. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that for me, and especially like in the last couple of years, just like reaching out to more people in the community and like, mm-hmm finding literature and like books written by like us, like uh, this community, like I started to realize, okay, a lot of the language that I had that was like, so like negative, such negative self-talk, such like so bad and down on like myself is not something that like exists, like just naturally, this is something that was created. And I think that in realizing that it felt like a liberation, but it also, like you said, feels sad because you realize just how entrenched it is and how much you have to every single, almost every single day, if not every day, confront some part of it within your, either in yourself or like outside of yourself. So it's like just a constant like evolution. Like how do I continue to like pull these terrible things away and then sort of deal with what I'm left with? Yeah, almost like rebuilding the whole thing, especially for yourself because you've gone from you know pre-disabled ableism is probably not necessarily in your scope so then suddenly like it all smacking you in the face and you're like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was a pretty fast education you almost have to just to I think be able to be mentally okay like you have to whether it's tools from like a support group or like just resources or a therapist like you have to have something that's actively like helping because otherwise it can be completely overwhelming. And there were a lot of times I just felt like shutting down because I was like, okay, even, even as I'm understanding that the problem is not me, I was like, there's still so much to confront, it's just so massive and so institutionalized yeah. and so a part of our culture. Yeah. And like, it is scary, but then I also think at the same time, like, I always feel like I'm on the other side, like I'm about to dismantle something really epic and I'm like, oh, like, let's see what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to go with the shit. (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm all for like taking the sledgehammer, especially now that I I can see clearly and appreciate, appreciate myself more. And for you, obviously being like, you know, we're talking 18, 19, 20, those are quite formative years of your life. And 
particularly that's when you start thinking about your career and your career choices. And I was wondering, becoming disabled, like, impact your career choices at all or the path that you decided to go down? Yeah, I think that especially as I was going through college, I kind of started not knowing what I wanted to do. I um, really liked writing. I really liked creative writing specifically. And I honestly ended up in journalism because I, Mm -hmm. as good as I felt about that part of my skill set, I was like, okay, the visual part of me, nobody's going to want to see like a woman with one arm, like hosting the nine, the six o'clock news. Like that's just not something that's going to be an option for you. So I think that it definitely made me question my aspirations that involved me being in front of people. And I think I kind of pushed those to the background um, in my like early years while I was in college. Cause I was like, there's just no way I can make that a reality. And I was like, I very much struggled with the idea that, you know, in one hand, I want to have a quote unquote normal life. And I want to, you know, have a, a home, a career, all of these things that we're told as humans are, you know, our reason for living. Yeah. But I also was like, I want, had felt this enormous pressure and survivor's guilt to feel the need to do something extraordinary. Cause I feel like those are the people in the community that as I started to see more representation, I was like, this is amazing. I was like, but I'm also not a Paralympic Paralympian. So what am I supposed to do? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. So it, I really, really, really struggled with that. And there's still days where I still do, because you do feel this pressure yeah. to be like, okay, if I'm not extraordinary, am I a good disabled person? If I'm not an advocate, am I a good disabled person? Um, yeah. All of those things that, you know, put that pressure on you and do kind of, you know, in hindsight, definitely funneled me into more of a box versus now I'm trying to broaden and do all the things that I wanted to do that yeah. I thought I honestly think that that is such like a nugget of gold for disabled people is that you don't have to be a para-Olympian. You don't have to be inspirational. Like you do not have to be like this crazy, inspirational, successful individual. Like you can just exist. And that is absolutely okay. Like you do not need to do anything to prove, almost like, prove your disability is worth something that's not what this is about yeah exactly and I think that especially as again like I started to see that representation like I'd see people on the Ellen show and like on you know all these like talk shows and I'm like okay this is amazing like I would have never otherwise have seen their story but I was like it does like you said send that message like if I don't become inspiration porn is my story valuable and does it have you know is there room for it in the you know big collection of multiple beautiful disabled stories that there are yeah and that's like so so key is that and I talk about it quite a lot is that it generally with disabled people it can tend to be like Paralympics or pity and there's not really like an in-between it's either you're an incredible success or it's you are down and out and it's an absolutely horrendous life and there's not really an in-between and when you say it out loud it sounds ridiculous but when we look at the reality of disabled people like represented on tv films movie even down to music that that disparity is so so large and that's why like I just want to have these chats because actually you can be a freaking fab disabled human being and just work your nine to five in a lawyer's office if that's what you want to do like you go like you do (laughs) exactly like you I think that it's 
it, it'll be nice because I think it is starting to just over the next like decade or so, however the you know however long I'll, I live, is to see just how this evolves to people sort of taking yeah. that narrative back and being like, oh no, like we can occupy that full spectrum you mentioned. Like I can be like just somebody that is a stay-at-home mom. I can be a firefighter. I can be whatever I want want to be. And I don't have to be defined by that like very stark like dichotomy, like either super great or super just you're somebody. <laughs> yeah, super shit. Or somebody that like just society is supposed to feel bad for. Yeah, exactly. I always like to ask everyone, do they have a piece of advice for a younger version of themselves, but also for a younger person with the same disability as them? Oh, that is such, such a good question. I think my first would definitely be on theme with what we've been talking about is you don't have to be extraordinary to be a good disabled person. You have the right to define your own joy and your own purpose. And that's not to inspire people unless you want it to be. And even if you do, you can decide to turn that on or off whenever you want. And I think the other part is the biggest thing. And I still struggle with it now. And I, I do sort of like cringe sometimes when I think about saying it up, but it's be patient with yourself. I think that I thought everything would happen overnight. I thought that, you know, I would see all the things I needed to see in terms of representation, hear all the positive affirmations I needed to hear and get to this, like, you know, one, two, you know, five year mark since my, you know, my disability birthday or anniversary. And mm-hmm. I thought that just magic would happen. I'd snap my fingers and I'd feel completely at home in my body the way that I did beforehand. And it just doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. And I think that as long as you keep in mind and be open to the possibility that different does not mean bad, um, you'll be surprised at how you surprise yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a really being patient. I think everybody in today's society could take a massive spoonful of that because we're all obsessed with instant gratification. Like we're we're all obsessed with it. Like when, you know, when a post on Instagram or Facebook doesn't get that like million likes and you're absolutely devastated. And then, yes. But then you think about it, right? So I was having this conversation and I can't for the life of me remember who it was with. But imagine if all of a sudden, like a million people came up to you on the street and was like, I like your outfit. You would be so overwhelmed. Like you would not know what to do. So the idea that if you don't get it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, then it's useless is honestly bollocks. (laughs) No, a hundred percent. And like I, the first time I heard that, I think somebody even said it with a lower number because like it was somebody like who I don't know if it was a podcast or what, but they had said, you know, keep in mind that like, even if you get 20 likes on something, imagine 20 people coming up to you and saying, I like your outfit in one day, you would be like, oh my gosh, am I Beyonce? Like, to, like, what is going on? You'd be like, this is amazing. Like this, like, please give me like, so I'm like, I, it is about perspective and it's about timing. And I think that as much as I hate the concept of patience at times, I know that being able to sit, like look at pictures to where I know that I was in a really dark place compared to now, I was like, okay, like it, it was incremental. Like there's not, wasn't a huge yeah. like shift, you know, from last week to this week, but it's like little, little things and little milestones that you meet. For sure. I would love to talk to you about 
the way that you now restyle clothes. So I think this is a really, really, really important thing to talk about, particularly for disabled people, because our options on clothing and styling is not designed for us. Yeah. However, you flip the script and I'm going to let you kind of like wax lyrical about it because I think what you do in terms of recreating your clothing, I think it's so freaking fab and I wish we had more of it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that makes my, my heart so happy and honored to hear. I, so clothes, clothes have always meant something to me. I think that especially as I started to get sick and was dealing with chemotherapy and all that, like that was the one thing I had control over. It's like putting on an outfit that made me feel good. And I think that what seems to be universal with disabled people as with most people, but more so in this community is like having that ability to express yourself when so much outside of feels outside of your control. Sometimes being able to be the author and the arbiter of like who you are, how you present that to the world, especially when the major, like the stigma is that, you know, we don't have good lives. We don't, you know, aren't people that take pride in like dressing ourselves and, you know, being able to express ourselves in that way. So it's always something that I've held really, really close to my heart. And it's been always been a huge part of my identity. And I think that's just blown up on like exponentially since I've become disabled. So I think the hardest, hardest thing again for me was like imagining what my life would look like post disability. And I think that I immediately latched onto that because I was like, okay, this is how I used to express myself. This is something that I got excited about and felt good about. And when I first had my amputation, I was like, I need to get a prosthetic arm. Like I need to be able to wear, you know, my favorite coat, my favorite t-shirt, my favorite thing, my favorite this. And I was obsessed with the idea of that being able to replace what I lost and very much tried to sort of measure my life and my happiness against that and like that feeling um, versus being like, okay, like, yes, this is great. And this is an assistive device. And in a lot of ways, it helped prepare me for what I do now. But in the same way, it just, it wasn't allowing me to fully be myself. Cause like I would still wear the clothes that I used to, but then I'd feel you know, shitty or crappy after having, you know, my prosthetic done for, you know, two to five hours and like my back's hurting and I'm having like irritation from my socket. And I'm like, this is not the same. And I kept doing that comparison. Like, this is not the same. This is not the same. So during the pandemic, I was like, I'm in the house. There's nowhere to go. It's like, we are very much the world's on pause and we're kind of just all, you know, alone with our own thoughts and, you know, our feelings and a lot of Netflix. I was like, what if I was like, I'm not going to wear my prosthetic around the house. Cause I, I usually didn't prior when I was wearing it every day, I would take it off as soon as I got home from work. So I'm like, you know, I'm wearing my clothes you know, with my sleeve out or my sleeve like tucked, the right sleeve tucked in. I was like, what if I just cut it off? What, you know, let's just try it. What's going to happen? (laughs) (laughs) So I did that and I, you know, YouTubed how to like do like a quick stitch on um, a sweatshirt sleeve. And I was like, this feels, this feels really good. So Mm -hmm. what if I 
tried something else. <laughs> and I kept going like that. And I think for a while I was like, okay, I would only do casual clothes, like clothes that I'm wearing at home, like my pajamas, yeah. my sweatshirt, my you know favorite t- t-shirt to sleep in. Like I'm only going to do those things because it just doesn't make sense. Like this would look so weird going out like this. People would be like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I started to do more and more clothes. I was like, okay, like what if I, you know, did take my favorite t-shirt that I, you know, wear with my prosthetic and cut the sleeve off? What would that mean? What would that look like? And it was very much just like a trial and error with myself. And I would only wear them in the house. Like I wasn't wearing them out. Um, And I think in this space of everybody's at home, there's not really an audience. I, it ended up being the perfect, like, test vehicle for me going out and doing it because then I'm like okay well what if I went to the grocery I'm comfortable in this sweatshirt that I cut the sleeve off why not just go to the grocery store with you know my mask my gloves I'm like nobody will know it's me like if people stare like there's going to be like 10 people in the grocery store because yeah everything down and I started to do that more and more and when things started to open up again um I started to say okay like that felt really good. Like what, let me explore and really think about why, what's keeping me or what's hindering me from wanting to do this again or yeah. wanting to do it, you know, once there are more people around and it isn't just myself and my family. And the first piece of clothing I got tailored was a vintage piece. And I love, love vintage clothing. And it was a blazer that I had tried on and I wore all the time with my prosthetic. Like it was like one of my, most worn pieces of clothing. And I really struggled because I was like, am I ruining this piece of clothing by cutting the sleeve off? I was like, um, and I, I wrestled with that for a long time. And I was eventually was like, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I don't care. Let's try it. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario, you know, I try to source or find another one, but I was like, I'm going to try it. And when I put it on, I, I just felt like this, almost like just goosebumps, but I don't even know how to put words to it, but it just felt, it felt right. And I felt like, okay, I was like, I've been sort of looking for this sign or this feeling, feeling like I'm just wandering, like aimlessly trying to see what would, you know, work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this feels right. I'm going to keep doing this. And I think as of now, I was like, I I went through a point where I was like, I'm not going to do everything because I don't want to ruin my clothes. I don't want to waste clothes. Like is my, you know, sort of this like weighing my worth, like, am I worthy enough to like, you know, have these clothes, edit all of these clothes for myself or all these clothes for myself. So I'm at the point now where 99% of my closet is all tailored clothes versus prior. Like I only had two sweatshirts. And I think that for me, it helped me sort of realize and that just that small thought that I had, like, okay, my life can be good. It helped me realize and become that person that I wanted to be because I was dressing to fit how the inside I wanted to feel. And then they started to match each other because I was going out feeling confident about myself in a way I had not felt before my amputation. Yeah. And I also think it's like you're reclaiming it power back because you're not, you know, like, society is not built for the disabled it's not and that's that's factual that's not me being like oh where is me that's just like a that's a straight up fact like argue with me as much as you want you're never gonna win being able to curate a wardrobe and create 
curate clothes (laughs) that fit you in a way that makes you feel good is so important and it really is that like it is taking back the power and having that ability to be like do you know what as a disabled person like I matter in this society and I feel good in these clothes because these clothes were built for me and me alone and like having you know like one-off pieces is great but making them fit you and like we all know how great it feels to have clothes that fit us so well and so perfectly so to have that ability to to re like rearrange and tailor and make your clothes fit you I think is so like such a brilliant part of like coming into your disabled identity yeah it definitely felt like I had the clo- like I had, I finally was finding the clothes or making the clothes that mm. I needed to to be able to get over that that hurdle, that visual hurdle. Because I think that that is hard. Like you said, when you move through a world, it's like I would go into places shopping with like you know my friends. They'd be like, "Let's go," you know, shopping on Saturday. Yeah. We'd go to the mall, and I had my prosthetic on, and I remember just feeling like just this sick to my stomach feeling like I don't even want to get dressed in the, in the fitting room. I know it's not going to work. I know I can only wear like specific types of things. And my thing back then was hiding my prosthetic. So I wear really long sleeves that like almost all but covered my prosthetic. And I'd wear like stuff with like very high necklines to hide the like straps on the prosthetic. So I was very much in this hide, hide, hide mentality. And then I'd go out into the world and there was still nothing to really suit that so I'm like I'm doing all of this yeah and there's still even as I'm trying to conform and look quote-unquote normal there still is there still are barriers so I'm like I'm doing all of this and I still don't I don't even feel good about it yeah so I was like you know I was like and it it did seem impossible because like you said you go to a store the world is not built for us so I think to even get over that mental hurdle of being like okay no I deserve to have clothes that fit me yeah was it was everything I was like I it just opened up the floodgates for all of these things that didn't feel impossible it almost feels weird at times to be like well did clothes like really and I think I don't think fully but I think that they helped me put the visual in front of myself to be like okay I look and feel good and I was like so what if I started to do the work to feel that way on the inside and then just have everything you know match to the best of my ability yeah and I love that as well and there's also and I probably like someone's going to give me some stick for saying this but there is so much power in not wearing a prosthetic if you don't need to wear your prosthetic so like this is not for like leg amputees like I completely understand you guys need to wear one and I'm never going to dispute that because that is that is you guys like that's your thing not my thing but I think there's so much power in not wearing a prosthetic because like for, for me I stopped wearing one when I was five and that like at that age I was like well it's uncomfortable it's clunky and it's fake and like I said it's fake and like I'm not really a fake person so why would I attach something that is fake to myself to fit into a society that I already know is not gonna work for me but why would I make it like almost harder for myself knowing that this is attached to me constantly? Yeah. Obviously at five years old, I did not have that vocabulary. I was not that like, like well-versed, but as I've got older, that's what I think I meant. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I couldn't agree more. And I do think I do get hesitant to sometimes talk about it in that way, but I appreciate you putting words to, 
to something that I, I absolutely felt the moment I put it on. I was like, this seems like I'm almost like an imposter of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because it, and, and it very, it does speak to the way that they're made and how they are built for upper um, arm amputee or arm amputees. But it's like, it's, it just isn't, it doesn't work with, with, it wasn't working with my body. And I think it took me a long time, a lot of discomfort to even be able to address that or be honest with myself about it because I did have that attachment. I was like, yeah. people, you know, I can fit into my clothes. People seem to not notice as much if I'm wearing it, if that I have one arm, it like very much felt like my key to assimilating to being normal. And if I lost that, then I could never be normal. And that means I could never have any value or self-worth. And it was just like, it, it was a symbol of so much pain in some regard, but at the same time, I do understand how for a lot of people, it's either one, something that they do need to live and be able to be yeah. available. And, then, but, and for others, it's a way that they can, you know, sort of process that grief and whether they choose to wear it or not helps them, you know, see themselves as they want to see themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is a question that I like to ask everyone. And it's because I think as disabled people, we don't often get to recognize positive attributes within ourselves. And I was wondering, have you noticed a particular positive attribute within yourself, either when you've been through a dark time or you've come through something and actually on reflection, you look back and you think, wow, I'm really proud of how I handled X, Y, and Z. Oh, that is a good question. I do think it's hard to identify positive qualities because I do feel like, again, you fall into that dichotomy. Like I don't want to be inspiration porn, but I also don't want people to feel pity for me. Right. Um, so I would say my most positive attribute, probably persistence. I yeah. think that. <laughs> I think that persistence with myself, uh, whichever part of me is like, I refuse to sort of let this be. And even in that dark time, I think that persistence is what got me through because it's like, I was very much at the point where I was like, I just want to give up. I was like, this is hard. I don't want to fight all the time. I don't want to have to have on the, you know, activism hat all the time. I was like, yeah. these things mean something to me and activism and social justice are things that I was raised with values that I will always have. But I think that when you are a disabled person, when you are part of a marginalized group, it is hard because you have to have that, that hat on, even when you don't want to, you have to be your best advocate. Um, so I would say persistence and then just talking about just advocating for myself. And it's something that I'm going to continue to have to get better at and learn to, to be better at, but probably persistence and then advocacy because it's like, you have to be your own advocate when you're a disabled person, you become your own, your own attorney, your own spokesperson, your own counselor, like therapist, like you have to do those things for yourself because you're, you're going into a world that, you're working against a deficit based on how the world, the world looks at you. Yeah. And I think also self-advocacy, particularly for disabled people, like you become your own doctor as well. It's quite often, yes. like, you know yourself better than any other doctor does. Like yes. the amount of times I've been to the doctor and been like, this is not quite right. And I'm pretty sure it's to do with my disability. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all oh, right, like you don't have the answer. So like, I need to go and find it for myself. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or like they're like astonished at how like how we document or just like keep track of how things feel different or yeah. they, like it's like we are so like hyper aware of our bodies especially people who have physical disability it's just like you it's like we're taking stock and in inventory of like how everything's working how everything's doing like every day so when you do have those people that try to challenge it, especially in medicine which has its own problems institutionally it's just like no, I, I know. Like I've had, I have to be on top of this. I have no choice but to be on top of this. So it's like, I, I know when something like is, you know, feeling numb or tingly or whatever the case may be. So like, if you're not seeing it, you need to like figure it out to like get on the same page. So what's really funny, and this kind of like really nicely ties into this is I once went to see uh, a Chinese medicine man. Cause I was like, Oh, I've got really sore knee. Like I'm wondering what's going on. Yeah. And he turned around and he was like, you eat too much sugar. And I was like, actually, if we're going to go down this road, my knee hurts because the right side of my body overcompensates for like the left side. And that actually travels down through your hips. And that's why my knee is really sore. And he kind of looked at me and was like, I don't have a herb for that. Hopefully he jotted that one down for later if he has somebody else. Because it's just like, come on, come on. I, Honestly, I love like, that. The way that he, he was like, I, I was like, it's okay. I was like, I just wanted some tea anyway. <laughs> no problem. And with that... I was wondering, so like as disabled people, we get asked weird and wonderful questions all the time. And I'm pretty sure that everybody gets asked the same questions like what happened? How did it happen? Blah, 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 blah. But for you, is there a particular question that either like really annoys you or actually now that you can like look look at it in a different way, you find it quite funny? Oh, okay. I've gotten, okay. So my, the one I tell or the one that like definitely like sits with me when I think about this um, is I have gotten asked on numerous occasions, whether because I've lost my arm, whether I have a hand fetish or an arm fetish. I was like, what? <laughs> and I, for the longest time, like I, I, my goal, my goal at some point is to have a really like kick-ass answer for that question. I don't yet. Like it's still, <laughs> it's still, still, still like, interview. <laughs> Cause I was like, I just want something that like packs a like punch. That's like literally just turns it back on them, but then also like calls out the absurdity of the question. So if anybody has any, any advice, I'd love to take it, but that is by far the weirdest and oddest question I've gotten asked. I and, kind of love it yeah. and hate it all at once. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like not to kink shame anybody, but I'm like losing a part of your body doesn't inherently mean that you develop a fetish. But now you desire it. That's how it works. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, like, oh, I lost a little finger and now that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, um, and then I would say the other question the one I had a bit of fun with, especially when I first had my amputation. So before I was wearing a prosthetic, I was still healing from yeah. the stitches and everything. My favorite question was when people asked what would happen, because I would just come up with like the craziest like answers. I'd be like, I got, you know, attacked by a bear or I was mm-hmm. in 128 hours. <laughs> like, that was about me. Yeah. I would just say like the wildest things and like wait for people's reaction because I do... I do feel that I enjoy having those moments of sort of connection or vulnerability or opening up, but I do think that there's a fine line. And I do think 
getting like solicited on the street, like while I'm trying to get my coffee is a little bit too much. So I think that that was, that was sort of my way of dealing with it. Cause I was like, I can't, I don't have the ability to hide this. And I was like, I'm not wearing a prosthetic. I want to, you know, at least see what it would be like to exist in the world without it. And it was very new. And I kind of just attacked it with sarcasm and humor the same way I did a lot of my illness. And it, it did make me feel better because I think that there is a little bit of a, about can be boundary, a boundary cross when you do yes. just assume that somebody wants to talk about something that may be traumatic for them, or even if yeah. it's not just, it's not always your business. Is yeah. how I approach it. Exactly that. Exactly. Yeah. That is it. Sometimes there's like a level of like intimacy that can be quite nice, but yeah. then there's also times where actually it really crosses a boundary and as disabled people, like we don't owe you any explanation for anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes exactly. it is what it is and we can't change it. So therefore you can't change it either. So like move on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I only have one last question for you. And that is Maya, can you say that you're disabled and proud? I am disabled and I am very proud. Oh, yay. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. I've loved this conversation. And I think a lot of people are going to get so much goodness from what you've said about clothes to your own experience to, you know, your evolving and ever growing relationship with disability. I think it's been really, really brilliant. So I really thank you for giving up your time for coming on today. I've really appreciated it. Thank you so much, Brooke. This has been the highlight of my week. It was such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.